0: The Disciple Center is focused on discipleship, hence the name, and particularly the discipleship of marriages and families. So our focus is our homes, not necessarily our sanctuary. And we're a private congregation which allows us to focus on this, but it can at times give the appearance of isolation or elitism. That's why sometimes we've been called a cult. (laughs) That's not our intent. Our intent is to focus on what we're doing and not spend all of our time just trying to increase uh, the number of people who are here. Uh, Another aspect of the Disciple Center is our claim to be Judeo-Christian. Now we mean that not in a way that some use the term as an adjective, as in Judeo-Christian values. We use it as a noun in that our religion is Judeo-Christianity. This is meant to be inclusive of the best of these two religions, based upon the scriptures, and focused on Torah and gospel. Hence, we bring them out each time in this context. Um, we also maintain a unity of Israel and the Gentiles in the body of the Messiah. Uh, and that unity is important, but it's difficult. All relationships are difficult, and they require work to maintain the unity and the understanding. So we've entered into Lent, and as we began Lent, I talked about ritual commandments and their extended practice in Judaism and Christianity, and their intent as reminders for ourselves and for instructors for our children. The holy days and the rituals are done differently in many of the traditions, And follow different calendars within several traditions of Judaism and Christianity. And this process, variance in the observance and variance in the timing, uh, causes confusion, sometimes to ourselves, and misunderstandings which threaten the unity and the harmony of the communities of faith. I have been probably more in the last several weeks, having to explain why we're in Lent and not post-Easter than I've had to in a long time. Uh, and the kind of responses I get are, you guys don't believe in Easter? You don't believe in the resurrection? How Jewish have you become? Those kind of things, right? And, uh, and the, the issue is, a lot of times this is based on people not knowing there's just ignorance. And other times, a fear that somebody's doing something that can create problems. Now, there's a passage in the Scriptures that has intrigued me for a long time. And it's one of those passages that you don't bump into very often. It doesn't show up in the Haftorah readings or the Torah readings. It's not in the traditional lectionary readings. So, unless you're just reading through books or reading through the Bible, you might not get this story. And you know the stories and the commandments of the Scripture uh, have different usages and interpretations. But the stories are particularly valuable because they're so rich in their understanding of human nature and the patterns of God that they really can be valuable. So a few weeks back, as we were doing some translation work, and we were in the book of Joshua... Uh, I was reminded of a passage and thought this is perfect for this kind of Lenten season when we're talking about this. And it's Joshua chapter 22. I'd like you to turn to Joshua chapter 22. We're going to go through the rest of the chapter. Well, we'll actually go through the whole chapter. Uh, But uh, we'll go to some other passages. But predominantly we're going to stay in Joshua 22. There are many ways this could be uh, adapted and talked about. There's always... The plain interpretation of the text. This is what happened, and then what does that mean to them? What does that mean to us? How how do these patterns work? I'm going to try to use one of those for our purposes at this point, and I've titled this uh, "Unity: The Altar of Witness." the the witness The altar that is being built is is a um, interesting attempt. To do something that gets terribly misunderstood. Welcome to the Disciple Center, right? So, in uh, in uh, Joshua chapter 22, we get these words. Joshua summoned the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And you have listened to my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, even to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. Therefore turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side or beyond the Jordan. Only be careful to observe the commandment, and the Torah which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, and walk in his ways, and keep his commandments, and hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And Joshua blessed them and sent them away. Then, he, then they went to their tents. Now, to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashem. But to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among their brothers westward beyond the Jordan. So when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. And he said, Return to your tents with great riches, with great, uh, very much livestock, and with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and and with many clothes. Divide your spoil of of your enemies with your brothers. And the sons of Reuben, and the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home and departed from the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had possessed according to the command of the Lord through Moses. Now, what's going on here? When the tribes enter into the land, two tribes and half a tribe come to Moses and say, you know, this land on this side is pretty good. We'd like that, uh, we'd like that land. And Moses says, you can have it. But you still have to fight the battle. Okay? You can't escape your responsibility to the community. So you, will, you can leave your children and your wives there. But you will come in and fight with the rest of them until the land that is promised has been uh, put to rest. And when that's done, then you can go back. And you will obey Joshua. And so they did it. So now they're getting to go back and live on the other side of the Jordan. Two tribes and half a tribe is being split into two areas. One side on this side of the Jordan, one on the other side of the Jordan. So, and then the Bible says they all lived happily ever after. Or actually it doesn't. Okay, So now we hit verse 10. And we'll go to verse 16. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard it. And they said, Behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the regions of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. When the sons of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go against them in war. I'm convinced that Baptists were in the camp of Israel at that time. Because we'll fight over anything, right? So they're ready to go to war with their brothers because they build an altar. Then the sons of Israel sent the sons of Reub- to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. And with him ten chiefs, one chief for each of their father's households, each of the tribes of Israel. Each one of them was the head of his father's household among the thousands of Israel. And they came to the sons of Reuben, to the sons of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them there. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following the Lord this day by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day? I love this passage. If you are a student of human behavior, you love this passage. I'll tell you why. What did Joshua say about these guys? You did everything you were asked to do. You have kept everything good. You've done what I've said. You have have been faithful. Continue to be faithful. So the first time they hear that something's happened, what's their assumption? They're being unfaithful. you have friends like that? Who the first time somebody says something bad about you, they'll believe that? Just crazy. You know, they're, they're going to war. We'll, we'll kill them. In the name of the Lord. Okay? Now, who's, who's there? Phineas. Phineas is no small guy. Okay? He's known for his zeal towards the Lord. So they... The first thing they do is build a large altar. It's like the one at the tabernacle. And the rest of Israel hears about it. They gather for war and confront them for being in rebellion. So, now we look at their accusation. Joshua 22, verse 17. Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us? From which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day. Although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord. That you must turn away this day from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today. He will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. You're going to get us all in trouble. If however the land of of your possession is unclean. Then cross into the land of the possession where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. Don't rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building an altar for yourself besides the altar of the Lord our God. Didn't God say, I don't want you going to all these God's are us altars? What the heck are you guys doing? We already had this problem at, at Peor. Now, what's the problem at Peor? Well, turn with me to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25, uh, verses 1 to 13. Israel remained at Shittim. The the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. So they're hanging around and messing around with idol worshipers. They invited the people to sacrifice uh, to the sacrifice of their gods. In other words, to eat the food sacrificed to Baal of Peor. uh, And then involved themselves in the orgy that will follow. Uh, uh, So, Israel joined themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel, no doubt. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to, to Baal of Peor. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to, uh, to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they were weeping at the doorway of tents. So Israel's starting to, to repent, and this guy brings a woman in, and they start having sex right there in front of everybody in front of the tabernacle. So Phineas, you know, Phineas son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it and he rises up in the midst of the congregation, took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of the ten of Israel and pierced both of them through the man of Israel and the body through the body. I mean, this is the origin of the shish kebab. Okay? Boom! And what happens is there was a... the plague by the Lord, 24,000, it's mentioned in the New Testament too, died because of their fornication. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say to him, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. That's the they said, You're gonna do this again? You're gonna get us in trouble again, God will be all over us. And Phineas is there. Then they go on and they say this, so we're back to Joshua twenty two. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Well, now they're talking about a passage in Joshua chapter 7. So back to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 says, The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now, here's what happened. You know the story, most of you. They go in. They were supposed to kill everybody and burn everything. But Achan saw some things he liked. And he kept them and he hid them. And God plagued Israel. My kids used to ask me something when they'd get in the car. I'd say, now I want you to be quiet. Or I'm going to pull this car over. You know, oh, I did all that stuff. And they would say, are we on our own? What that meant was... Do we all get in trouble if one of us messes up? Or do we only get in trouble for our own messing up? And I'd say, you're, if either of you causes a problem, it's going to happen, right? That's, there's a communal responsibility and individual responsibility. Both are true in the Bible. We're responsible individually to God. We're responsible communally to God. That's why if we have a gross problem in the congregation, we have to remove that person. It's not that we're all perfect. It's that when things start getting bad and you let it go, it becomes a major problem. Paul Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. So God's plaguing all of them and then at the end, He gets killed and anybody who knew about it and was with Him, they're all killed. So... They are bringing up both of these stories uh, to try to get an uh, explanation of why these tribes are building this big altar. Okay, maybe it's not an altar to Baal, but it's not an altar God said to build. It's not in the place where it should be. You can't make this area clean. If you can't make it clean, come on. Your sacrifices belong over here. What the heck are you doing? Right? We're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. And it's not just you. God's not just going to nail you. He's going to nail us. You who are spiritual. Restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness. Considering your own self. Lest you also be tempted. Right? So the idea is that we do. We are our brother's keeper. In that sense. So Phineas is ready. To go to war. Now. Now. What happened? Well, look at verse 21. Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. The mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. He knows and may Israel itself know if it was in rebellion, or if it was an unfaithful act against us, the Lord against the Lord, then do not save us this day. Let us be condemned. If we have built an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or to offer on it burnt offerings, or grain offerings, or to offer sacrifice of peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it of us, demand it of us. May He judge us As he judged those. Let the ground swallow us up. But truly we have done this. Out of concern and for a reason. Saying in time to come. Your sons may say to our sons. What have you to do with the Lord. The God of Israel. Wow. See when you separate from people. Pretty soon. You don't trust their motives. And you begin to think you're right and they're wrong. That happened when Judaism split from Christianity. That happened when the Eastern Church separated from the Western Church. That happened when the Protestants separated from the Catholics. And that happened when the Baptists separated from everybody. And then the non-denominationalists came and said, we're not even going to hang out with them. So their children grow up thinking they're not family. They have nothing to do with our God and they have nothing to do with us. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you. You sons of Reuben, you sons of Gad shall have no portion in the Lord so your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Therefore we said... Let us build an altar, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifice. Rather, let it be a witness between us and you and between our generation after us that we are to perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, our sacrifice, and with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Therefore we said it shall also come about if they say this to us or to our generation in time to come. Then we will say see the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made not for burnt offerings or for sacrifice rather is a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, for sacrifice, for an altar of the Lord our God, which is before the tabernacle. So what they say is, look, we're worried about our children and your children, that the day is going to come when they don't know each other. And one of the reasons the Disciple Center addresses all these traditions is I want these children to be comfortable when they're in a Catholic church, an Orthodox church, a synagogue, and they won't be told, you don't belong to the Lord, and you don't belong to the God of Israel and the Israel of God. Because we have done this. Everybody who tried to say, we'll do this the best we can to the Lord, the other group says, you're doing it wrong. Therefore, you're not us. That violates the unity and communion of the saints, the unity of the body. And that is a major priority in the scriptures. So they explain this is not a separation from unity. The altar is not a functioning replacement, but a witness for them and their children and the others and their children, so that in times to come, they and others would not consider them not a part of Israel. The purpose of the rituals and the symbols is never to replace the real. That would be idolatry. But to remind us and serve as a witness to the people and the next generation. So it's that reason that we draw as carefully as we can From the historic rituals and reminders of the scriptures. In both Judaism and Christianity. They remind us and our children learn. And those who know the meaning. When they see that we understand it as they understand it. Even though we do it a little different. That we are of one body and of one God. That we are part of the people of God. This is why the multi-denominational approach that we're doing is so critical. And it's why I beat that thing to death. Because if you don't... If it doesn't pass on to your children, and I am not here anymore because I'm with the Lord you will not be able to pass it on beyond that. It'll, it'll die with me. It'll die with the next generation. It's got to go to the generations beyond us. So, I want you to look at verse 30. So when Phinehas, the priest and the leaders of the congregation, even the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words which the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the sons of... Of Manasseh spoke; it pleased them. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, to the sons of Manasseh. Notice how they keep repeating that. It's the whole group. Today we know that the Lord is in our midst. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, not just your own. Today we know the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Man, you're, you're, you're making sure that three generations from now, we don't get slammed by God. You're not only doing the right thing now, but you're protecting us in the future. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the leaders returned from the sons of Reuben, from the sons of Gad, from the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the sons of Israel, and brought back word to them. Boy, it would be great when the day comes when we don't have to give an answer. Others will tell the story because they've seen our unity with them. The word pleased the sons of Israel. And the sons of Israel blessed God and they did not speak of going up again uh, in war to destroy the land in which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad were living. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us and the Lord God. Wow. I believe that we need to think about the priorities of God. I had a class this last week that I spoke to them about this. I asked them to consider four things and put them in priority. Unity, doctrine, practice, and witness, or evangelism. I believe the Bible places unity as the priority. Most of Protestantism believes that doctrine is the most important. That's why we have people who are very good at doctrine and they're meaner than a snake. They will turn on you and rip you to shreds because they know the truth. And they'll kill you with it in the name of the Lord. And then there are people who if you don't practice exactly the way they are, you can't be around them. And then there are people who believe that all we got to do is spread the good news and we can all grow up to be children of hell as long as we know the good news and we've said the, the magic words. Jesus said, the sign that you are my disciples is that you love one another. The night That he prayed in Gethsemane. He said, Father, make them one. As you and I are one. Paul talks about the disunity among the Corinthians. He tells the Ephesians to endeavor, strive. To keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is nothing in this scripture that puts unity at a second place. Because God treats us as a community. So one of the ministries of the Disciple Center beyond our walls is to be a witness of the unity of God in the body and in Israel at large. Whether they believe or don't believe, whether they've got their doctrine fully right or not, whether their practice matches our practice, that's not the issue. If they do Easter last week or they do it four weeks from now, they do Passover with lamb, they do it without lamb. They do it with wine, they do it without wine. They do leavened bread, they do unleavened bread. They are struggling to follow the Lord and the Lord is their judge. I'm their brother. Now, I'm not interested in people who are pretending this stuff. And I'm not interested in people who are uh, making merchandise of it. I'm only interested in those who struggle with God and with man because they believe this text is truth. And when I know somebody believes this text is truth and it's beginning to affect their behavior... Wherever they are on the pathway, I'm fine with that. As long as they're moving on the pathway. It's when they step off the pathway that we have to confront them. It's when they reject the pathway we have to confront them and say, you can't be with us anymore if you're going to act and talk and do that, right? We do confront people if their doctrine is not correct. We do confront people if their behavior is not correct. We do want to be a witness and and a testimony of the good news of God. But we are striving to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of love. And that works really good in small groups because everybody knows each other. It also doesn't work in small groups because everybody knows each other. But you get the idea. But the more you don't know the other people, the more you disconnect from them. I'm watching the Messianic movement. When this group of rabbis leaves the scene, and the pastors that have joined with them? Will there be connections between those congregations down the road? Not if we're just on a piece of paper. It means that some of you have to connect with some of them. And, their, and your children have to connect with some of their children. We need that for marriages. We need that for living. We need that for... This is practicing the communion of saints. And it's a very important... Is this a wonderful story? Or is this a wonderful story? I love this story. This is one that ought to be preached more. It's just a great, great story of what happened. Because I've I've been... People say, this guy's great. And he says one thing. Or does one thing that they don't understand. Boom, they're all over him, man. They're wearing crusader outfits and they're ready to go, right? They're rallying the troops against it. That's, that's not what we're to do, okay? Uh, and that happens most, in most cases, organization to organization. That's why I say, God works through people. People work through organizations, okay? The more people depend on the organizations, the less unity you will find. There are rare people, rare people, who are heads of Christian organizations, who stay humble and spiritual, and uh, and have a, a sense that it's God's work. Not many of them do. There are a few that do. I try to connect to those people. One of them is sitting right there. But many people who get to that place... I wouldn't trust them unless I could watch them. And the history of the faith is that. Brother turning against brother. We have to be a witness of the unity of the body of the Messiah. So, we'll be connecting with our Jewish and Eastern Christian brothers and sisters in the Passover and Holy Week at the end of this month. In that, we may be perceived as separating from our Catholic and Protestant brothers and sisters and setting up a separate altar. We are not separated from any of them or the Lord, but we have to be able to explain to our children and to those who ask why from time to time we're observing with other parts of the body. Let's pray.